Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, get it? With the WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, the Silver King is back, and for once, we are in a week without any special episodes. We're back to our two shows a week. Thank you, Lord, that the pay-per-views and special events have ceased you know in the interim AEW's back on wednesday and the getting over wrestling podcast is back to our tuesday and thursday episodes starting with wwe where today we will break down everything that happened across smackdown and raw along with everything else in the world of wwe we have a loaded show ahead which means right off the top We got to take care of a little business. And we begin that by reminding you what this show is all about. So do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and review. Let people know how much you love the show. Give people reasons to subscribe and listen to the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast so our audience can grow, we can get bigger, and we can deliver even more awesome content to your ear holes. Also... Do not forget to give us a follow on Twitter at Getting Overcast because not only do we tweet about wrestling all week long, we share news, we talk live during the four major shows. We also give you pre and post show polls for pay-per-views where you can participate and we can get your results for our special instant analysis and ultimate preview shows. And in addition to all of that, you can also contribute DMs and questions for the show by tweeting at us, privately DMing us, however you want. We will read your thoughts on the air here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. And all of that is not to even mention the fact that we do live shows from time to time on Twitter spaces, whether it's breaking news or go-home shows right ahead of pay-per-view. So there's every single reason to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. So with that, I'm going to welcome back in vintage Chris Vanini, who after a one-week sabbatical is back here on the Getting Over Airwaves. Chris, it's really funny because you gave me notice, you know, ahead of uh, last week that you wouldn't be on the show. And I'm sitting there watching Raw last week. And I'm like, how do we have <laughs> the best Raw of the year? Six full months. We finally get a good top to bottom edition of Monday Night Raw last week. And you're not here to talk about it with me. Did you get a chance to watch last week's show? What did you think about it? I did. Um, yes, of course, I missed the best Raw of the year. When you told me about it, you're like, I can't believe you're missing this episode. It's like, ah, I was, uh, for those of you who follow college football, the uh, college football playoff meetings were here in Dallas. So I was uh, attending those uh, Monday night, Tuesday morning when we normally record. So yeah, Adam texts me and says, dude, this is the best episode of the year. I can't believe you're missing this. And so I eventually did go back and watch it. And it was really good. And, and the best thing I can say about last week's Raw was that they did new things, which we don't often get. We'll get into this episode here, but I felt like I came back and they got back onto what they normally do, which is repeating things. So uh, Yes and no. I would say that uh, last week's show was it felt fresh yes. for a change, which was really yeah. nice. This week, I think, was a 50-50 mix. We got repetitiveness, but we also got some freshness as well. Yeah, that's that's, that's true. It, it was it was certainly better than most raw most weeks. Yeah, yeah. So no hopefully the the positive momentum continues uh, with raw. Well, Chris is back. You can follow him on Twitter personally at Chris Vanini. You can follow me, the Silver King Adam Silverstein, of course, on Twitter at Silverstein Adam. A couple things to talk about here before we get into the meat of the show. 
the main event, the good, the bad, and the ugly, those segments are coming up later. Just off the top, I wanted to say a reader pointed out to me over the weekend that some of my grades for the men's singles matches at Hell in a Cell were a bit high. So I actually went back and rewatched them, and I 100% agree. So I want to be transparent in case anyone out there is actually keeping track on what I grade one match to another. Go back, subtract a quarter to a half star from those men's matches. I was high. (laughs) Not high like uh, inebriated, but high in grading. I I don't know why I was. um, But yeah, like even looking at Rollins and Cesaro compared to their WrestleMania match, I gave it a higher rating. It was pointed out to me or an equal rating to their Mania match and it wasn't as good. So I don't know what I was thinking during that show uh, for those those singles matches, but everything else I obviously stand behind as always. So I just wanted to say that. I also wanted to tell all, all you guys, we are working right now on a new and improved soundboard that will have a ton of drops. So a lot of the old drops from the show that have gone by the wayside because I have a limited number of slots on this little application that I have, those are going to come back. We got brand new ones, CM Punk, Booker T, Macho Man, Randy Savage. If there are sound drops you want on the show, and if you can think of any that in particular would fit our good, bad, and ugly segment, I would really, really appreciate you guys either sending YouTube links or just saying, hey, yeah, when you know Steve Austin said this, go find that clip. I'd love to add those to the show. It is listener's choice. So please think of some. Chris has already sent me some. I'm very excited about the new soundboard. I hope to debut that next week. Maybe the week after that, it's going to take a lot of back end work for me to really cut the right clips and, and make it sound good. It's exciting. I've, I've seen a preview of it. You're going to like yeah, it. Yeah, it's solid. Uh, and lastly, before we get into the main event, WWE did a third round of releases late last week. I believe it was Friday right before SmackDown. There were 14 total superstars released. But I have to say, Chris, and we'll go through them you know, one by one and you can weigh in on whoever you want to. There weren't a lot of surprises this time, or at least any that apps actually shocked me. Like there's some where I'm like, oh, I can't believe they got released. But nothing shocking like Samoa Joe or Aleister Black, Andrade, like some of those names, Murphy, in the, in the recent past where I was just looking at it like, what the hell are they doing? So I'll run through them. Uh, I'll go, you know, talent by talent, Chris. I'll say a couple words. And if you have anything to add, just kind of stop me before I move on to the next one. I'm going to start with Everrise, which was primarily, uh, I mean, totally an NXT tag team. They hadn't gotten much TV time, but recently they had started to get used and be kind of worked into the tag team division. These guys are extremely entertaining. They were just starting to come into their own. And I have to say, on this entire list of talent releases, Everrise is my biggest surprise because their show, Everrise Live, on Twitter that I've been retweeting probably for the better part of two months. It's incredibly entertaining. And the one thing you know, WWE and Vince McMahon historically like are characters. And these guys are characters. They're hysterical. They had really funny gimmick. So I was just shocked to see them get released considering I assume their talent contracts aren't, you know, that expensive. So that was my number one biggest surprise. Uh, we'll move over to Brizongo. Tyler Breeze and Fandango, they both got released one-time NXT Tag Team Champions. Tyler Breeze had that famous match with Jushin Thunder Liger on NXT TakeOver. Fandango, of course, had the WrestleMania match with Chris Jericho, and I believe he was an Intercontinental Champion, although I didn't write that down. I got to say, 
you know, people were shocked at these releases, Chris. Um, these guys were both with WWE over a decade. That Those are long WWE careers. That's longer than Steve Austin was in WWE. Longer than The Rock, you know, in terms of being a full-time wrestler, was in WWE. These guys had long careers. And I think they're both talented, but I think they hit their ceilings in WWE and didn't really have anywhere else to go. I wasn't particularly surprised that they got released. I wasn't surprised, but I was still kind of sad, I guess, because because they're they're all sad. Every release yeah. Well, sad. I mean, these yeah. guys in particular, because I, I I again, I'm not super familiar with Ever Eyes, but like I'm very familiar with Tyler Breeze and, and Fandango. And Fandango, especially, just he always turned chicken shit into chicken salad and, and made something. Not that it was amazing stuff, but he he was always funny yeah. and just turned just turned into something bad into something pretty good. So. Hopefully they land on their uh, feet together or separately somewhere else. But those guys were always just really, really creative guys. You know, Tyler Breeze does a lot of the YouTube stuff. Uh, very talented guys. And, and Fandango had one of my favorite lines that I love to use as a drop just on Twitter sometimes, which is when he said to Renee Young, you're not even a real journalism. <laughs> I just, it was just hilarious. He's got that win over Jericho at WrestleMania and no one can ever take that away from him. So good luck. That is you. true. You beat an all-time great at WrestleMania. I mean, they they gave him a strong debut, but it just, it never really worked out. His gimmick, I never liked. Tyler Breeze's gimmick, I never liked. I know longtime listeners of my, of podcasts that I've been on know that Brian Campbell was a huge and probably still is a huge Tyler Breeze fan. It just never really clicked for me. It's not saying that these guys aren't great. I wish them both luck. I just wasn't that surprised after I think one of them was there 14 years, the other 10, something sure. like that. It just ultimately to me wasn't that surprising. Uh, Killian Dane, though, that release was surprising because, man, this this guy just has so much potential. He's really good in the ring. The tag team with Drake Maverick was working out and it was legitimately good and interesting, but it kind of seemed like it did like get stuck in neutral a little bit. There was nowhere really for them to go. They weren't going to split them. They weren't getting closer together and making a run for the NXT tag team titles. They were kind of just a low card tag team in NXT. And I do think ultimately that makes sense as a group to cut. The thing about him mostly is he just was lacking from a character perspective. But again, sad to see him go and it was a surprise. Uh, Marina Shafir, who is Roderick Strong's wife, I thought she was going to join him in Diamond Mine. It seemed like when he had left NXT in storyline a couple months ago that they were going to do something with her. So I was getting all excited for that. And now all the horsewomen in WWE are gone with the exception of Shayna Baszler. So Jessamyn Duke, gone, although I think they re-signed her to do video game stuff, but not actually, actually wrestle. Uh, Marina Shafir, gone. Ronda Rousey, obviously gone and pregnant. So you have Shayna Baszler left, and she is uh, losing consistently over on Raw, at least for now. But she did give some perspective on that uh, this week that maybe we'll talk about later if we have time. Uh, Tony Nese, one-time Cruiserweight champion you know, kind of had plateaued as well. Just his gimmick was really all about his abs. And they never really did anything else with him. So that's unfortunate. The Bollywood boys, uh, their standout moments, Chris, for me, were the bumping that they did for Jinder Mahal w during his WWE yeah. championship run. Of course, everyone will remember the table spots, the announced table spots with Randy Orton. <laughs> Talented guys, funny guys. I think they're going to land on their feet somewhere and, and be a tag team elsewhere. But again, these these are just not surprising releases to me. You know, I'm being yeah. honest about them. Yeah. As I, once we finish through all of them, I'll kind of give my thoughts on. OK, the let, let me just give a couple more. Yeah. Arturo Ruas, uh, he was on Raw Underground, rumored that he would be involved in Diamond Mine. Another guy 
who was in NXT for a really long time, just never actually went anywhere. He's someone where I think, you know, AEW may work out for him. Tino Sabatelli, uh, he got, he was in a tag team with Riddick Moss at one point, And the tag team actually showed a lot of promise. I thought it had main roster potential. They both simultaneously got injured. Uh, then he got fired. He got rehired recently and fired again. Uh, former, I believe, Tampa Bay Buccaneer um, safety. And I think he may have played for Florida State as well. Uh, Aria, or maybe not Florida State, but definitely played for the Tampa Bay Bucks. Aria Davari, longtime cruiserweight. August Gray and Kurt Stallion, both more recent hires and featured in the cruiserweight division, 205 Live, both released as well. So that's the list. That's the 14 people. You know, I think some of them will catch on. There's opportunities. But really, this group, when you compare it to the prior two sets of releases, when, when you talk about WWE releasing talent, you really think back end of roster, like not superstars. And this group is pro- probably the best representation of what a normal set of releases I think would look like. The other ones, to me, were far more surprising than this. When you're losing the Iconics and you're losing uh, Aleister Black and Murphy and these guys, Samoa Joe, these guys who can actually make waves on TV. A lot of people here, they either didn't or their time has kind of passed in WWE. Yeah, I, I mean, no, none of them are surprising, like we said. And this is mostly NXT. This isn't your Aleister Blacks, your, your top guys kind of thing. In, in which case, like, you know, when Braun Strowman got released, a lot of people thought, well, they're trying to save money because he's got a big contract. This is probably not that situation. And I think it's incredibly weird that they've now had three rounds of cuts halfway through the year. It's crazy. And, and, and this comes at a time when they're also adding media executives like Jamie Horowitz and stuff like that. And they're about to go. They, they did the Peacock deal for five for a billion dollars. They're going on the road now where there will be. I, I assume they make money by going on the road. Um, uh, I mean, I, they WWE, not, not the house shows. I'm talking about yeah, TV, yeah, yeah. TV. Yeah. So it's just. It's surprising, and I, I, I just, I still can't get over the idea of thinking that you go through, you continue to release more and more and more wrestlers while you're adding media executives, and to me that just paints a picture of a potential sale down the road. I'm not saying that they are, they have plans to do it right now, but it just, ever since Nick Khan took over, it just feels like things have been leaning in that direction, waiting for the moment when Vince decides he wants to sell. Well, I, I think it's more about cutting costs to go on the road than it is about selling the company. But NXT because, isn't really going on the road. Well, no, but a lot of these people really were back-end NXT roster people that had their time you know, there for an extended period and weren't working out. That's why EverRise is such a surprise, because they were just recently introduced on television. Like, I mean, they had been around previously, but they started pushing them with their show. But everyone else on that list from NXT either was on NXT extremely rarely or not at all. Like Marina Shafir was not on. Tony Nese was not on NXT. The Bollywood right, Boys, right. I, Arturo Ruas, Tino Sabatelli, these guys right. were not on TV. But so, I'm, saying, I'm just wondering, why is it happening now and not happening two months ago when they did previous releases? That like, I don't, like, yeah, that I don't like, understand. Why are they yeah. coming back to doing more and more of these cuts? That That's what I'm trying to figure out. That's what I don't understand. And I also wonder, why didn't they start with yeah. guys like this yeah. and then progress to, okay, you know what? We need some bigger cuts. Let's cut more, more major talent. It, that's what doesn't make sense. I do think some of the people that have gotten cut will get hired back. That does happen frequently in WWE. Sometimes it's just six months, it's a year, a couple of years, something like that. But yeah, it's just been a massive amount of talent 
that's been released. And the thought process is like, okay, if you, if you were to release this list, right, then maybe you don't need to release Alistair Black and, and maybe you don't need to release the Iconics. And that's the, those are still the ones that really stand out to me as being strange, where a lot of these I can at least understand and they're unfortunate casualties of business. But, I, you know, they, 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 have, they keep bringing in people in the Performance Center, so they keep enhancing that. A lot of those people are making quick debuts on television, which is interesting. So maybe there was just something that they saw uh, based on their rosters with like, hey, look, we need to freshen stuff up. What I think this speaks to more than anything about cutting talent and all that, I think they're getting rid of 205 Live because there's only yeah. four full-time 205 Live superstars that are now like cruiserweights on that brand. Now you could put Kushida on there and you can put other cruiserweights on there. Uh, NXT has plenty of cruiserweights to fill up 205 Live. But to me, it seems like that show is going away and there's really no need for it to exist anymore. That's what I think is happening more so than WWE getting ready for a sale. I just think they're getting rid of a TV show or a, yeah. a streaming show, I should say. Could be. Uh, one other thing to note before we get into the main event, uh, Samoa Joe did an interesting interview with Ryan Satin over on his new podcast, Out of Character. By the way, I've only been asking WWE for Samoa Joe for two years <laughs> for this show. Two years I've been asking for Samoa Joe, but Ryan Satin gets him right away as soon as he's rehired. Uh, he said that Triple H called him within hours after his release from WWE to set up his new job with NXT as an enforcer and someone who's also working in talent scouting and development. And Samoa Joe said he may even be able to return to the ring, but fans need to wait and find out. So that is all extremely interesting. And I have to wonder, like, how, how does NXT operate exactly? I know yeah. that I know that Triple H, Paul Levesque, has a lot of autonomy. But is it really that he just has his own budget and gets to hire and fire and bring in and, and, and release whoever he wants from that brand without oversight? Or at least I should say hire, because clearly some of those recent firings were WWE motivated. But does he just get to go do that? And like WWE can release someone and he can immediately hire them? Because this is the second time that that has now happened. And I just think it's extremely weird that you would release Samoa Joe and then even give him the inkling that, that this company doesn't want you only to have Triple H call him a couple hours later and offer him another job yeah. and for it to then take two months to get him actually <laughs> into the organization. Yes. If this was a normal company, you would essentially just reassign him or, or right. talk to him about reassigning him. And I if you need to negotiate a lower salary, then you do that. You have that conversation. Hey, Joe, yeah. look. This is what we want to do with you. If not, we're going to release you. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I, I wonder. This is completely speculation. If if there's just any sort of power struggle going behind the scenes between Nick Khan and Triple H, uh, I mean, it, it seems Nick Khan comes in and he's now basically the number two in the company. I think, and uh, coming from outside of wrestling, and and you know, we always assumed Triple H and Stephanie would take it over, and now we're not really sure. So I don't know. It's weird for 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 that to have happened to Samoa Joe. It's just incredibly weird and not how things would typically run in a company. The only way I can think of it is this. OK. Is Nick Khan wanted to hire Pat McAfee and Adnan Burke. So they wanted McAfee with Michael Cole on SmackDown, which pushed Corey Graves because they weren't going to take Corey off TV and Byron over to Raw or Byron was already on Raw, but pushed Corey over to Raw. And 
They had the full thing. They're like, hey, Joe's not going to wrestle because he's not cleared yet. So, okay, let's release him. <laughs> like, th- that has to be how it worked mentally. Yeah. Otherwise, by, by way, Nick, it doesn't Nick make Con- sense. By the way, Nick Khan is formerly Adnan Verk's agent. Of course, that's why I'm saying it. Yeah. I, and I, I would assume he's either Pat's agent or, or was Pat's agent or maybe CAA yeah, was Pat's with, agency. Yeah. CAA is like the mega agency for people who are unfamiliar. Yeah. They represent people. And I'm sure, I'm sure CAA is Jimmy Smith's agency as well. So, you know... All this makes sense, but I'm just, that's, it's pure speculation, but I have to believe that's how it happened. And then Triple H is like, wait, what? <laughs> and then yeah, he just calls him know. a couple hours later. But I, I mean, seriously, you know, Paul Levesque, he's very close to the vest. And even when he does interviews, and I've interviewed him a number of times, he really talks around answers. But man, I would love to get him for a candid interview just to ask questions like that. Like, okay, Joe told us this happened. Tell me what really happened. Like, like, how did you find out? Were you angry? And then like, how did you end up offering him back? And how did, how were you able to rehire him when WWE just released him? Like that never happens that a company fires someone and then rehires them, Yeah, you know, inside of a short period of time. Although that technically did happen to me once, although it wasn't me getting fired. It was a contract not being renewed. Long story for another day. Look, we're 20 minutes into this show. We got plenty of wrestling to talk about. Enough with the releases. I'm sorry to see all those people go. Best of luck moving forward. It's time for us to move forward here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast into the main event. And we'll start as we almost always do, although I really tried not to this week, with the state of the Universal Championship because we were supposed to receive an address for that on Friday. So the show starts. Jimmy is backstage. He's telling Reigns he finally got in touch with Jay who's not coming back. Reigns was pissed that he put all of this work into making Jay a main eventer, only for it to be ruined. Jimmy said he could do anything that Jay does, and Reigns wanted him to prove himself as a right-hand man. Jimmy later asked Paul Heyman what Reigns meant, and Heyman said he just needs to go out there and win a match and prove that he can be main event Jimmy Uso. And then we had Seth Rollins approach Adam Pearce and Sonya Deville, saying if Reigns is looking for a new challenger, no one deserves it more than him. This made it seem as if Rollins was finally moving on from Cesaro, but Rollins challenging Reigns on its face with both as full heels doesn't really make much sense to me. I found both of these to be intriguing enough segments early in the show, and I was looking forward to finding out what Reigns' big announcement was going to be in the main event. So I do think that WWE did a really good job promoting the main event segment and getting us to want to see how the show would end. Yeah. I, 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 it was interesting because we they've teased Rollins Reigns uh, before a couple of weeks or months, two back, months in too. a row. Yeah. Yeah. So it feels like we might eventually get there, but I like that. They're I, I, I like that they're teasing us and also kind of taking us into interactions because and we'll come back to this a lot. We do all the time. I trust what SmackDown is doing. So it keeps me intrigued when I see something like this. I trust what SmackDown's doing in the main event. Yes. Primarily, yes, more yes. than anything else. Uh, so we got a match, Jimmy Uso against Dolph Ziggler. Jimmy said he hoped Roman was watching. He sent Robert Roode over the announce table. Ziggler gave him a really nasty zigzag into the pointy part of the steel steps. I thought it was a super cool spot. Jimmy later hit a super kick and he won clean. That was literally the finish. He just beat Ziggler with a super kick. Uh, Reigns smiled at Jimmy in gorilla position, but left him backstage for his big announcement in the ring. I just thought it was a disappointing match without a climax or any substantial finish. And Rude was not to be seen again after a single throw over the announce table. It was actually a weaker storyline than usual for the 
main event for Roman Reigns, given how this normally dominates SmackDown. So I like that they gave it less allotted time, but I didn't like that there was really nothing of substance to the entire thing. I mean, I guess we could say Jimmy can't quite do what Jay does. Jay's main event, Jay Uso, and um, Jimmy's attempt was not quite as good. It was a weird finish. I don't know if he didn't do a leg slap or missed a leg slap, but that final kick didn't have that that slapping noise. The same and, thing happened in the women's six man on Raw. And, and and the commentators kind of noticed it because they weren't ready to kind of make the call for the end of the match. It just kind of surprised them. So it was a little weird, but I don't know. It was, it was a fine match, but it, it was something different. Again, I, I like that the Roman Reigns feud generally brings in other people for matches. So we're not seeing the same match over and over and over. So it was kind of whatever, but I appreciated I appreciated the effort. It, it was pretty lackluster, though, compared to, to be fair, the Jey Uso main events yeah. that we're accustomed to seeing. And Dolph Ziggler's a great wrestler and Jimmy's a great wrestler. It just, it really fell flat for me. So as the show was ending, I wasn't that hyped. Like, I was just, oh, okay, let's see what this is. That was my mentality going into the final segment. So the main event comes around. Uh, Reigns and Heyman walk out to the ring. Heyman went through everyone that Reigns beat, The Fiend, Braun Strowman, Kevin Owens, Edge, and Daniel Bryan. And he said all of them by name, which was interesting, considering obviously Braun Strowman and Daniel Bryan are no longer signed to the company right now. And we haven't seen The Fiend uh, in months. So he said they would do something unprecedented because there's no one left to challenge Reigns. And I was really curious, Chris, what the announcement would be. Because the last time something unprecedented happened, it was Brock Lesnar entering the Royal Rumble as the WWE champion. That's the last time something unprecedented, you know, truly happened mm-hmm. in the, in regards to a world championship in WWE. And Paul Heyman was behind that as well. The Rumble's not coming up. So I really wasn't exactly sure what they would do. And I was curious about it. But suddenly, just as they were about to make the announcement, Edge made his return with a huge like Viking beard and beat the shit out of Reigns outside. Reigns came back with a Superman punch, but Edge countered with a chair shot and a spear. And then he set Reigns up for a concerto until Jimmy interfered, edged through Jimmy into the steel steps, two steel step spots for him in one night, and speared him through the barricade in a really sick spot. But then there was the weirdest moment at the end of the show (laughs) where the camera pans and shows Reigns and Paul Heyman standing on the middle of the ramp, and then it pans back to Edge, and Edge looks directly into the camera and passionately screams at Reigns as if he's backstage to end the show. It was so weird and looked really screwed up. But Edge, typical Edge, was really passionate and the veins were popping in his face and he really sold the moment. So this was obviously, despite all the things I just said, it was a great finish and it sets up a huge match for Money in the Bank that will be a great first main event for the return of fans. The match was confirmed on Talking Smack Reigns versus Edge for the Universal Championship. I had problems with the Jimmy Uso stuff and the way some of that was booked. But there's no doubt the Reigns and Edge segment was strong, and it's going to be fantastic going forward over the next couple of weeks. It also makes perfect sense in kayfabe, given Edge never got his one-on-one match that Brian stole by injecting himself into it. That is strong continuity, and I'm sure it's going to get brought up on TV next week. Yeah, Roman sold the return perfectly. It was not the whoa, what the heck is going on face? And it wasn't the, what's this idiot doing here face? It was right in the middle. He found the sweet spot between shock and dismissiveness. It like was, it time. was, yeah, it was, oh shit, here we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, and, I gotta and, deal with this guy now. 
Love Edge still having the beard. It kind of looks like like an old man Edge type of deal. Uh, we know we Edge Edge Roman was 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 really good stuff going into WrestleMania. Even and, and Dana Bryan obviously getting and made it better. There's a natural story there. The last time we saw Edge, he got concertoed and double pinned. He should come out and be incredibly pissed off and just want to go after that, as opposed to coming out and cutting a promo or something like that. So it's exactly how you want to do all of that. The looking in the camera thing was a little weird, but whatever. I, the the larger thing was, was was really good overall. I'm excited to see this match as someone who's going to be at Money in the Bank. Um, I'm just a little irked by announcing the match on Talking Smack. I know that's kind of what the point is, and I know Heyman cuts good promos on that show, but it's just not something I think to watch on Saturdays and whatnot. And this is now two straight Roman Reigns main event pay-per-view matches announced on Talking Smack. The Rey Mysterio Hell in a Cell thing was two. So it's like, I don't know. I mean, maybe you don't need to build to that happening. Maybe we just know it's happening. So it's fine to throw it away on Talking Smack. No, or, I'm with you. No, no, I'm with you. Like, like that. But I just, I'd rather have like that moment on the TV show that I'm watching me, next week or something like that. Give me us something too. to build up to look forward to the next week. How's Roman going to respond? What's whatever. It said, just, nope, we're having a match. We're going. So, okay. I'm completely with you on that. Even if you open the show with it, like the very first thing that happens on SmackDown next week is DeVille and Pierce telling Edge, okay, you got the match. And then they play it out as they would throughout the show. If Talking Smack was on like FS1 at 10 a.m. on Saturdays and they wanted to draw ratings, then I'd be fine with them doing all this. But it's a WWE network show. It's weird that it's not immediately after SmackDown on Friday nights. I presume there's a reason for it. I I guess because Fox probably wants people to watch the late local news or whatever the case. So they put it on Saturday morning, which is divorced from the normal WWE schedule, and you're making major announcements on it. So I really don't like that. So I'm with you. Is it the end of the world? Is it a catastrophe? No, but if I was WWE, I would do it differently. What I wanted to talk about here, Chris, is this whole scenario sets up a really interesting potential set of circumstances between Reigns, Edge, and Rollins. Because as you pointed out, and as I mentioned, this has now been a couple months that Rollins is floating around Reigns and seemingly interested in the Universal Championship, but not calling a shot directly at Reigns. He's not challenging Roman just kind of saying, hey, you know, this is a picture that I should really be involved in. So I would not be surprised, especially if he ends up without anything to do at Money in the Bank, or perhaps if he's in the match, but doesn't win it, you know, we'll see what happens. If he injures Edge or costs Edge the match, because that would give us a legitimate dream match for SummerSlam between Edge and Seth Rollins, with Reigns presumably moving on to a superstar who's not currently in WWE challenging for the Universal Championship. I think it's a really smart way to get a couple of big names involved in a huge feud without changing the title, meaning having Rollins and Edge both kind of involved here. And I'm really curious to see if it actually plays out that way. Yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it. My first thought was, is there any way they're going to get Rollins into a triple threat here? But they just did Edge Roman in a triple threat, so they probably don't want to do it again. But I, I would love... I would just I would love seeing that. So, yeah, I I guess we'll have to see this week if we get any Rollins edge stuff. Rollins should be theoretically pissed off that he's not getting this title shot. So 
that needs to be addressed. Uh, that- I don't know that he. I don't know that he has a really good claim for it. No, he beat Cesaro maybe, once he, out of three times. He made, but he made the case on this last episode saying I should be there, and now suddenly Edge is cutting in line theoretically. So he just we should he he should have a reaction to that. This he week. should get a response. Like yes, on Friday he should be very angry. About yeah, it. yeah, and so yes. maybe that leads us to hinting at Rollins Edge type of stuff. Like we've getting hinted at the Lashley Kofi stuff for a few weeks ahead of time. I think. I think that'd be uh, I'm, I'm just curious if Seth has a response to that, because if you want to get to what you're saying there, yeah, you kind of got to you got to plant some seeds, I think, a little bit with with Edge, too. Right. And the reason he has a case, by the way, is because and we'll talk about the match more from a women's perspective later. But there was a mixed tag team match that Rollins won. So he had another win over Cesaro. He had a case to be made. The truth is he really has a case to be entered into Money in the Bank, which yeah. he should be in because of his success in the match. And because he'd be incredible in it. And Cesaro has a case to be in Money in the Bank as well. So we still need to fill up that team. We're going to talk about the qualifying for the Money in the Bank ladder match a little bit later in the main event. Uh, but that is something to keep in mind when we get into that. Before we get there, though, let's move on to the WWE championship picture because we had a scheduled confrontation between Kofi Kingston and MVP for Raw. And Kofi, man, cut a throwback style promo hearkening back to his Daniel Bryan feud about the post-match attack on Xavier Woods last week. MVP came out and said Bobby Lash is looking forward to embarrassing Kofi, just like Brock Lesnar did, which is a really nice callback mention. And it's something that fans hate being reminded about. So anytime that WWE can do it within the context of a storyline, it's pretty smart. Uh, Kingston said Lashley may be getting soft. And MVP said that Lashley is just enjoying the fruits of his labor. And Kofi talked about traveling to Africa and being a fighting champion while Lashley is taking vacations and taking his eyes off of the prize. Kofi then called out MVP for milking his knee injury. MVP said he's legitimately injured. And by the way, he is legitimately injured. And Kofi then came down the ramp and took him out with Trouble in Paradise before screaming into his face on the ground to end a really, really hot segment. This thing was absolute fire. And it was one of the best WWE back and forth promo segments of the year. It made total sense to keep this one-on-one for impact purposes, because the truth is out of the four of them, Kofi and MVP are the two best talkers anyway. So you don't really need Lashley there adding anything. And it was a great way to build to the WWE title match at Money in the Bank without having all of the parties in attendance. I hate that we're getting Xavier Woods and Bobby Lashley in a rematch next week for no reason whatsoever. We're going backwards to WWE Raw rematch, which has been our complaint about it for the last, I don't know, nine months or so. But okay, it's the second time they've ever fought. So like, I'm not going to go crazy about it. But as far as this Monday goes, Chris, this thing completely delivered. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I feel like I say this every week, but uh, Kofi's doing the best promo work of his career by far, like even better than the than the Dana Bryan championship feud he had. He's he's no longer talking as someone who deserves a shot, someone who who feels like he's been kept down, wants his chance. He's talking as someone who knows what he is, knows what he's accomplished, knows what he can do, and it's just a different edge to him. And it's great. And, and yeah, having the MVP one-on-one stuff was great. It's good to just separate MVP a couple times to remind us that he's a big deal and he's not just hiding behind Lashley or something like that. So... Great stuff all around. Kofi MVP have been really good one-on-one 
the last handful of weeks before we got into this thing, we knew it was coming. So these guys just have a great, uh, just a great chemistry, I think, going with each other on the mic. So this was this was tremendous. It's working exceptionally well. Yes. And I should also mention, by the way, um, I just remembered this and I don't want to let it go. But I passed over Fandango as like not being that big. Don't forget when crowds were chanting his theme, his entrance theme. There's only so many guys and, and girls where they sing along with your entrance theme. And Fandango had one of them with the dancing and the arms up and down. It was mostly in smart cities, like after major pay-per-views and stuff. But there was yeah. a period of time where Fandango was over. It, so, fa- Fandangoing. It was like when when Tebowing and that T-bowing, kind of right. memeing stuff was happening. It was big. There, there's no doubt it was big. And uh, everybody gets those fleeting moments and uh, you can't take those away from them. Yeah, I just wanted to, I just didn't want to forget that when we were going through it and being so complimentary to some other people. OK, so let's move on to the Money in the Bank qualifying as promised. Unlike Raw uh, from last week which basically booked its entire half of the Money in the Bank card in a single show, which I criticized on the podcast. I'm not sure if you heard it. SmackDown is taking it very slow, which I appreciate because it's giving us reasons to tune in every week and beyond. The fact that we left SmackDown on Friday with only one male and one female qualifier was a good thing, though there's certainly a couple issues I had with how it all transpired. But I'm curious which approach you like more. And I like um, slow playing it more because all we're going to because we eventually get to the point leading into Money in the Bank where all of the contestants fight each other in one on one matches and tag team matches. And so by the time we get them in the Money in the Bank match, we've already seen them all fight each other. And I'm kind of I, I get why you do that, but sometimes it just feels a bit lazy. So I prefer slow playing it. I, I want to have some mystery every week. I, there's no need to rush into it and then give us this, the exact matches we expect to see for a month. At least take two weeks, like sure. do it over two weeks. And I guess, yeah, I know you guys can say, well, technically raw did it over two weeks because they had a last chance qualifier. Okay, fine. But seven of their eight spots were taken By the way, in one week. Last chance qualifier is complete nonsense. They should not get another Like chance. why are other people getting opportunities? Yeah. You saw all the people in the battle Royal. We're going to talk about that you know, yeah, in a moment. We'll yeah. To it. No, it is bullshit. It's it's total bullshit, actually. But, you know, in certain circumstances, it's OK. Like if it's like elimination chamber and it's for the world championship, there's all there's a finite number of people who should really be competing directly for the WWE championship. But when it's a number one contendership match, which is basically what Money in the Bank is in some respects, <clears throat> if you lose, you're out. <laughs> like That's how it should work. It should be yes. like a tournament. But OK, anyway, we'll move on. Uh, on SmackDown, we had Apollo Crews, the Intercontinental Champion, by the way, against Big E in a non-title match. And Crew, like, I just didn't understand. Of all the people they could have had Big E fight to win entry into Money in the Bank, they had to go with a guy that he just had a six-month feud with. Like, it's enough already. But okay, Crews hit a Death Valley driver on the ring apron. I like that he added that to his repertoire, his arsenal. Uh, Cruz countered a Uranagi with a few German suplexes. Then Biggie got a stretch muffler for a near submission. He kicked out of a huge frog splash. Commander Aziz got ejected from ringside for interfering outside. And Biggie immediately caught Cruz with the big ending to advance to his first Money in the Bank match. So other than running this match again, this is the seventh time they fought one-on-one and the 13th time they fought as opponents in a match. 
in this year, 2021, 13 times. I don't know how many weeks we've had, 26. <laughs> Every other week they fought basically this year, okay? It's so mind-numbing. They also had Big E beat the Intercontinental Champion unnecessarily yeah. when they could have put him against someone else like Baron Corbin, who's already on a losing streak, or Robert Roode, or even Sami Zayn. Instead, they had Big E beat a guy who's a champion. So you had a champion take a loss. Big E maybe ends up having to challenge for the Intercontinental Championship again, or he has a win over this guy and doesn't, which is stupid. So the booking of this was atrocious. But the positive is that Big E is in the Money in the Bank ladder match. Yeah, I, I will say they uh, went against my expectations when this match started because I assumed for sure we get some sort of interference and Big E would win via shenanigans and get in and they'd protect Apollo Crews. And no, they just pinned him clean pretty much. So I guess th that was a surprise in that sense. But yeah, why have your Intercontinental Champion lose for no reason giving us a match we've seen a million times? If it had been Big E versus Robert Roode, would we have 100% known what was going to happen? Yeah, but that's fine. That's totally but, okay. But sometimes predictable things are good. And I don't know. I, I, I don't... Assuming we don't get Big E Apollo for quite a while now, I, I think it's okay that Apollo lost to a guy with the quality of Big E, but it just, it, again, it seemed unnecessary. Sometimes predictable things are good. And it would have been good. You don't need every qualifying match to be 100% unpredictable. And, and credit to Raw, because last week, they gave us a, a bunch of unpredictable matches and some right. surprises, but it doesn't have to be every single time. So, yes, Big E, I'm glad he's in Money in the Bank. I think he's one of probably... Two favorites to, at this point to win. We'll talk about that as we get a little bit closer. But And the wrestling was fine, but man, the booking, the decision to have that match was just so bad. Uh, we'll move over to Raw. Now, this is a little just convoluted just because there's a lot that happened. And, and as we break down everything that happened, I need to just say the match banged at the end of Raw. So that I'm going to talk about a little bit longer. But Raw opened with a battle royal, Adam Pearce and Sonya Deville read a forged letter written in green marker by Riddle trying to take Randy Orton's place in the last chance qualifying match because Orton missed his flight. He was eventually allowed to represent Orton in a battle royal to determine the third man in the triple threat last chance match that was set for the main event. I thought WWE made a mistake, Chris, in not announcing this before Raw because it would have created some intrigue. Like a few hours before Raw, put it out there on social media, Randy Orton, travel issues, not going to make it. We're going to have a battle royal to open the show and determine the third spot in the last chance qualifier for Money in the Bank. Is it a little bit convoluted? Yes. But you want people to tune in and watch the show. I have no idea why you don't do that. You, you want to give people to click onto USA Network at 8 p.m. sharp from a ratings I mean, perspective. I mean, I guess if we're talking from the business perspective, business perspective, sense. yes. But as a yeah. fan, I hate when something is announced on Twitter earlier in the day and I missed it and I'm just supposed to like know when the show starts. So, so in that sense, it was I liked that they that we we just talked about it with with announcing the match with the with the the Roman match. They kept something for the show and started us off with a little intrigue. And if we're just talking about the show and whether we liked it or not, I find it interesting to start off the show like that. So here's where I agree and disagree with you. I hate when they just announce something that they don't need to, right? And they do it like right before the show. So like if you're if you're going to announce something 24 hours before, 
that's okay because you're promoting the show. But announcing something 60 minutes before Raw goes on the air generally doesn't make sense. In this case, because they were promoting a triple threat booking for the main event, and they knew that was going to change, just announcing that the Battle Royal was going to happen would have been a good thing. Because when we started Raw, you still would have done everything exactly the same way. Riddle trying to take his place, Riddle getting inserted into the Battle Royal, and them having to explain what the Battle Royal is, which they didn't do a very good job of anyway, and left it up like, they said, oh, there's a Battle Royal, and they started talking about it. And then like Jimmy Smith, after the bell ring, finally was able to explain to us what was happening, even though I think we all had a pretty good idea. So they wouldn't have lost anything by announcing the Battle Royal ahead of time. You still could have done the Riddle segment, and you still could have had everything transpire the exact same way it did. I just thought it was silly to kind of act up until the beginning of the show like Randy Orton was in attendance when he wasn't. I, well, I'm fine with that, I guess. I, because I, it was, I, I'm saying my, my point is because it was a change to a previously announced booking, announcing it ahead of time because like, it didn't I, require like, storyline development. Like, I get it. I get it. I just I like I, I, I like when everything happens within the within the context of the shows more than outwardly but so, i look at it well, I'm we're just gonna, gonna I'm, do i'm gonna argue with you here because i'm i treat i like when wwe is treated like real sports right no i if, know if a if a wrestler and a wrestler if a football player is not available let's not talk about college because college is you know different but if an nfl player is not available before kickoff they're usually listed as doubtful or they're out or they're if they had covid for example this past year uh they were not eligible to compete because they were medically disqualified so the team announces that and says, okay, you know, this person generally is going to start at running back. So I'm not talking about WWE announcing segments for the show that can be built up within storylines on the show. I'm talking I, I, about I know what you're saying. A I, I know what you're saying. I, I, yeah. You want it to be treated like regular sports. You, you want stuff outside yeah, real Orton's, life impacting it. Orton's out. Tune into the start of Raw for this reason. No, That's like I, I get it. And again, yeah. from business, get people over watching sense. I get it. I just... I just like when when we keep more things in the, like I don't like to pretend that things don't happen outside of the show, but I, I was OK with I don't know. Just, I was just OK with this. I All was right. like, oh, well, this is interesting. I, I it, 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 it grabbed my attention at the beginning and it just made me interested to see what was going to happen next. And I, I like that I got started with a surprise because I feel like in the context of the show, we just don't get very many of those anymore. And that's fair because the start of Raw was good and I enjoyed what they did with Riddle, I think it was hysterical. The letter and and them yeah. reading it and and him like looking like, oh, I, this didn't they, work. They like, posted. <laughs> speaking of stuff outside the show, they did post the letter. Uh, and it's funny. On social media yeah. too. It was funny. That's very funny. So no, I liked the opening of Raw. I just wish it had been handled slightly differently. Now let's move on. There were three twenty four seven title changes during the match, with eventually r Truth losing it back to Akira Tozawa last. It's just like, why do you even have this? I did. I don't. We don't need to talk. We, we've talked about this point, but just like. I hate when they do these things and the same person ends up with it. I know. Like I know. it doesn't matter. Who that cares? was a hardcore championship trope back. Yeah, in the day. you make it. You make it mean nothing when a segment ends and the same person has it. Like I, I don't. You could do so many creative things with this belt that they've had for several years now, and they just don't do it. Well, two years. I don't yeah. understand it. No, it just it's it's terrible. <laughs> it's such a missed opportunity. It sucks. Anyway, uh, Mustafa Ali. Saved then eliminated Mansoor. Omas came out and eliminated both Viking Raiders with Jinder Mahal's help. Then he destroyed them outside. Omas looked like a beast taking out both Viking Raiders. So that thought that was cool. Uh, Mahal, Riddle, Damian Priest. It was his first match in five weeks. 
Jeff Hardy and Cedric Alexander were the final five. Priest eliminated Mahal. Hardy got eliminated and taunted by Cedric. Priest then hit the lights and eliminated Cedric. Priest and Riddle went on to have like a great, kind of like a four-minute one-on-one match with Riddle eliminating Priest with a V-trigger while he was hung up on the ropes. Uh, Riddle then demanded production hit Orton's music in celebration and did his pose. And then the Orton pyro went off and scared the shit out of Riddle (laughs) in what I thought was a hysterical spot. This was actually a pretty strong battle royal, given it was kind of just thrown together. The booking was solid. Multiple story storylines were touched upon throughout the match. We got the correct final two in Riddle and Priest, and they got to show off what a one-on-one match between each other would be like before the obvious finish intended to keep the Orton equivalent spot alive in the triple threat. Plus, Riddle got another significant win and got treated very well throughout the match. I was extremely pleased with this battle royal, and I really cannot remember the last time I've said that about a WWE battle royal on TV. Yeah, and when it got to the end, I really didn't know who was going to win. I, I, I mean, it was like, if Orton's not going to be in it, putting Priest in, like, I, I can see that happening. Or right. do you keep the riddle thing going? Like, yeah, it was a very book battle royal, and we don't often get those on Raw in SmackDown, especially when you have a lot of people who maybe don't need to be in there, but they got rid of them pretty quickly. You got the Omos tag team stuff going on. You had a few things going on. It was uh, a very enjoyable battle royal. Yeah, now I don't criticize, I try not to criticize WWE for not booking things exactly the way I want, but man, if you had Priest come out of this and Priest win the main event, and then you have Riddle and Priest who have both gotten big wins over established superstars in the Money in the Bank match, suddenly that Money in the Bank match is looking choice. Yeah. And and that's not what happened, and we'll get to that in a moment. So I was a little bit disappointed. I knew Priest wasn't going to win because he had just come back. And he doesn't need to be in Money in the Bank, but the truth is his winning streak and his success on television, he should be in Money in the Bank. He should have been a no-brainer in Money in the Bank. So do we know why Orton wasn't actually there? No, but I I, I actually presume that they were telling the truth, that he missed his flight. I I, I don't know. So again, There's a chance this was the booking from the start and this was the plan. Yeah, I I don't know. I think they did a good job with it either way. Like like I said, at the end, I could have seen either one of those winning and I don't hate either option, Um, especially since you were going to do it with the the match at the end of the the, the show. You didn't need Randy. It could have gone any way. So I don't know. It was was well well planned out whether or not however much was on purpose. So let's get to that main event. It was Drew McIntyre versus AJ Styles versus Riddle. Last chance to enter the money in the bank match for the Raw brand. Styles uh, complained backstage that Riddle gets to represent Orton. And Omas said uh, he was just scouting the Raiders when he attacked them. Priest and Riddle had a really nice interaction backstage as Riddle was getting in Orton's mind frame ahead of the match. By the way, I think Burger King has like a direct sponsorship with Riddle. Okay, so Burger King is really good at these hidden sponsorships because yeah. I was watching Jersey, Jersey Shore last week and with some friends. I, I saw that too. And yeah, they, did, that. they did it. They, there were like some mentions of it. And I with was the like, situation. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So I think Burger King is pretty good at uh, doing these subtle sponsorships in certain spots. Have you had the chicken? Uh, I've not. So I am a. They're doing big... it right now. See, it's working. <laughs> it's working. This a- advertising strategy it is really working. I, I uh, am a sponsor of the spicy... Burger King if you're listening. I'm a yeah yeah uh, promote us because I'm about to put you over. So I'm a big spicy chicken sandwich man. So I've run through the fast food spicy chicken sandwiches over the because they started kind of during the pandemic. So I had time 
right? And I can space them out and not eat fast food every week. The Burger King New Chicken, the spicy chicken, it's really good. It's not top three for me, but it's pretty damn good. And if like you're kind of walking around and there's a Burger King and you need something to eat, because I don't usually frequent Burger Kings. In fact, I think it's the first time I've been to one in probably 10 years. Uh, it's a damn good spicy chicken sandwich. I suggest going and trying it. I have, uh, I've heard good things. There's not really, there's no Burger Kings anywhere near me for whatever reason. But uh, when I saw that on Jersey Shore and when I saw that on uh, Raw, it, 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 came, it, came to, it came to mind again. Also, we we need to maybe start a second pod doing Jersey Shore recaps, I guess. Oh, I could talk Jersey Shore, but we're not going to do that here. Uh, the other thing, the one shout out for Burger King, they have the frozen Coke, the Coke Icy that you can order. Man, I don't know why more restaurants don't do that, more fast food places. That thing is the shit. That's my movie go-to. The frozen Coke is the number one. So look, I guess a shout out to Burger King. I never thought I would ever shout out Burger King on this podcast, but if anyone is listening, uh, sponsor us, I'll eat your food and, and we'll go from there. But truthfully, Chick-fil-A Popeyes, those are top tier spicy chicken sandwiches and tough to replace, tough to beat them out, is what I'll say. McIntyre cut another ridiculous Scottish history promo. Please, please stop with this shit. You are making this guy into such a dork. He was so cool. I don't know why you're doing this. Please stop. All right. Yeah. As as far as the match goes, I don't even want to let you reply. Just screw it. Let's move on. This match, main event, 30 minutes. And holy shit, did it deserve every single second. Styles and Riddle teamed up to double press McIntyre through an announce table, giving them an extended one-on-one stretch with each other. It really took up most of the match. Styles had a brain buster for a 2.8, kept going outside to keep McIntyre down. Riddle caught Styles with Orton's draping DDT, but Styles countered an RKO into a version of the Burning Hammer, which is like a fireman's carry brain buster type yeah. of move for a 2.9. McIntyre got his second wind by killing Styles outside, hitting Riddle with an Alabama slam, but Riddle dodged a Claymore and hit a springboard floating bro from the apron onto both men outside. Styles dodged him running and Riddle punt kicked the steel steps. He screamed and sold a broken foot with great agony and he got help to the back. Even without a crowd, Riddle's absence took a little bit of air out of the match, in my opinion. McIntyre got a near fall after a Mishinoku driver. Styles dodged the Claymore and got a calf crusher on McIntyre. When Riddle limped back heroically uh, with a foot wrapped up, Riddle countered the phenomenal forearm with a flying knee and then hit an RKO, which looked to be the finish. But Omas pulled Styles out of the ring and McIntyre caught Riddle blind with a Claymore for the win. This, Chris, was an absolute killer match. Total banger. Everything you could want in a TV main event with something significant on the line. Does it worry me a little bit that McIntyre's in the Money in the Bank match? It does a little bit. At least for now, we'll see if he remains in the match by the time we get to the pay-per-view. It does feel like he's getting stuck in this Roman Reigns zone of getting stale and being overpushed. But truthfully, as long as he doesn't win Money in the Bank, it'll be fine. And he will make the match better because he's a great wrestler. Riddle winning here after beating McIntyre last week would have been an insane moment. And we got taken on a storyline ride here over the course of a three-hour show, which I really appreciated. I have to believe Riddle's not going to win Money in the Bank either, given that he's in the RK Bro tag team and WWE is pushing that. 
But man, if I was WWE, after the performances that Riddle has given us the last two weeks, I wouldn't think twice about just strapping the rocket to this guy, knowing you have a full year to use that briefcase, knowing that crowds are going to come back, and knowing that crowds are going to go apeshit for Riddle. There is a chance he is the most over person, maybe Riddle and like Edge, you know, and possibly Becky Lynch when she returns. But Riddle is going to be over like Rover. This match absolutely ruled. 4.25 stars. It's an A. This thing was sick. You said something at the beginning of all that where you said they took us on a storyline journey for the three hours of Raw. That was maybe the biggest takeaway of the show, and that's what makes it a good episode of Raw. When there is something that happens and evolves throughout the show, that's what keeps you watching because you want to see what's going to happen next with this thing you're telling me. So often, largely pre-pandemic days, Raw would there'd be an opening segment, then we get a match two and a half hours later, and that'd be the only time we talk about those right. people. You gotta give us something, you gotta weave us through a path throughout the show. That's how television works. And this was a great story they told the riddle. Frankly, I was disappointed that he didn't come out and just, you know, he was doing that backstage bit where he's trying to pretend to be Randy Orton. And Damien Priest came over and talked to him for a bit. I was like, I, I was like, lean fully into this. Just have him like dress up as Orton and go into that final match, literally thinking he's Randy Orton and, and like do the Randy Orton entrance and, and everything. And they didn't. And it's fine. It, it, it's just a little thing. But like they got they bought I, I bought into that, that he was trying to really be Randy Orton. And then, he, you know, you get the RKO and stuff like that. It was great. It was a, it was a great story that they told throughout the show. Drew McIntyre winning is I was kind of like. Ugh. I mean, like this is it's going to feel like. So when John Cena fought The Rock for the second time at WrestleMania, they do this amazing video package before the match. One of the best ones I think they've done where John talks about the previous year's loss to The Rock sent his life into a tailspin. They show him getting a divorce. They show him getting F5 by Brock and he's losing a bunch. But in that year to CM Punk to Big Show, whatever. He was in many WWE championship matches. Right. Like they portrayed it as he got knocked down to the bottom and he had to crawl his way back up when that was not the case. He was still competing for the championship every every month. They just retroactively tried to make it seem like a big deal. And it feels like they're doing that with Drew. Like they're going to say he's he's come back from from the Lashley stuff, but he's well, he's still in the title picture. <laughs> right. Like he's got to really go down a couple notches to make that climb back up. So I just, I, don't, I really don't know why he's in this match. I mean, if he wins, freaking, we're going to go off. But Oh yeah, if he, if he wins, like, it's, a, it's an absolute joke if he wins. Let him do something different and more interesting. Tell us a real story with him and, instead of this nonsense stories that he's, telling us. And look, there's, there's a chance we get it because Jinder Mahal last week teased, well, hey, what if someone doesn't make it into the Money in the Bank match? He could attack Drew and take him out, forcing them to get another qualifier. But now you've had a second chance, a battle royal to determine the third person in the second chance qualifying match. And then the person maybe who wins the second chance qualifying match would get injured, requiring another person to get an opportunity for Money in the Bank. Now, at least that would explain why they have been, why they front loaded the qualifying in the first week of Raw. But it's not really necessarily the best booking to do it that way. But yes, I mean, look, if McIntyre wins Money in the Bank, it will be a huge booking mistake by WWE. Massive, massive mistake. But we can't jump to that conclusion 
right now, him being in the match, it makes it better from a wrestling standpoint because he's a damn good wrestler and he's going to do some pretty sick shit in that match. But yes, if he wins, if we're going to project out, that would be a problem. I'm going to at least give them enough credit right now to expect him not to win. There's also the thing to consider, Chris, that WWE seems to basically be doing everything it possibly can to make Fox happy. And having the Money in the Bank briefcase on the Fox show on SmackDown would make them happy. So that's one of the reasons I think Big E is probably the favorite going into the match, even though we still need to see who could potentially qualify on the other three spots from SmackDown. Yeah, that makes sense if if, um, if a Fox person is going to win it. But you got the women to, to throw in the mix there, too. It's kind of weird. I'm, I'm not sure where it's going to play out yet. We kind of I kind of got to wait and see. One more thing here from a, a reader, a listener, I should say. I'm sorry. Uh, and then we'll move on. DM slide from at the Jeremy Smith show. He said, have to give it to Raw Creative. Drew winning the main event was always the nearly inevitable outcome. But they told us a story for three hours without Riddle winning for Randy. And it made sense, given that that was the place we were heading. In the end, they got us to the place they were always going while both avoiding the dread of a Drew win and getting extreme sympathy for the most over guy in WWE and Riddle Silver King. That was expert level booking. I think what is so frustrating about WWE booking is that they often go where they want to go and don't seem to care if the audience enjoys the journey. Tonight was about the journey. Even though it wasn't the preferred outcome, it was still a great journey. I think that's a really good point. Like they gave us a story. We didn't love the conclusion. It wouldn't have maybe been the conclusion that we would have picked, but the finish to the match was great. It made sense. It protected Riddle. Riddle looked like a hero. Styles didn't really get hurt from it. And McIntyre won, which is the conclusion that they wanted from a booking standpoint. So Jeremy, you're right. WWE, you know, we got to give credit. The last two Raws, they've given us some good booking. Now, if the rest of the three-hour show could be that way, uh, you know, going forward, that would be a huge step in the right direction. We had one more Money in the Bank qualifier before we move on to the good, the bad, and the ugly. Liv Morgan against Carmella again. Sonya Deville made Mella the first Money in the Bank entrant. She didn't even have to qualify. That's fine. Uh, Given the limited women on the brand and her legitimate claims in this specific type of match, I was okay with Mella just being put into it. Liv pointed out that she beat Mella last week, so Liv said she should be in Money in the Bank. Liv then slapped Carmella, and DeVille set what I thought was a qualifying match for Money in the Bank. Morgan caught her with a springboard face buster finisher, and Mella got her foot on the bottom rope. Mella then hit a hurricanrana off the ropes, but Liv used momentum to fold her over for the win. It wasn't a roll-up, but it was basically a roll-up. Mella celebrated still being beautiful despite losing, and Michael Cole confirmed that she wasn't, she being Liv, was not in Money in the Bank officially, which doesn't make a shred of sense (laughs) if they're building her as an underdog. She's already beat the lone qualifier in the match twice in as many weeks. What is the delay? This match, again, only got four minutes of television time. At least the segment preceding it was longer, so in totality, it got about 10. It's just unimpressive women's booking, given that they fought three of the last four weeks, for a grand total of nine minutes and 30 seconds. That's the time for one women's match, not three. It's pathetic shit from WWE, given the match time, given that Mello was celebrating a loss. Liv will obviously be in Money in the Bank eventually, but they made it so sloppy with DeVille saying, I'll consider it if you beat Mella. She beats her and she doesn't consider it on the show. She doesn't announce it on the show. We're waiting until next week. 
what's the holdup? Why was that not a qualifying match? It just didn't make any sense to me. Yeah, it feels like the kind of thing where there's not a plan yet. I don't know. <laughs> you should have this planned out going into the, the main event. The other thing with SmackDown, though, is that there aren't that many women on the roster. No, she's going to be in the match. So, 100%. Well, but, but also, like, so you can't. So I, I also understand putting Carmella in because simply you can't have enough people beat each other and get in or else you're going to have second and third chance matches to get into the match, uh, to, to the Money in the Bank match. So I, I, I don't love Sonya Deville putting Carmella in. I would have liked if maybe Carmella maybe like bribed her way in or something like that to like get a little bit more of a heelish, you know, bit in on in on there. So, yeah, lives in. I don't, I don't know why they don't just announce it. It's weird. Well, again, I was totally fine with Carmella, but all you needed to have happen was live to walk backstage, walk up to Sonya Deville. They needed 30 seconds. Say, what'd you think about that? She goes, you know what? Good job. You're in. Yeah. It's yeah. over. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are they going to do? Have her fight Mella again next week on SmackDown? If they do that, I'm going to lose my mind on this podcast. Anyway. All right. So that is the main event. We got Money in the Bank qualifying and the world championship pictures out of the way. It is time to move on to everything else that happened in the world of WWE this week. And we're going to judge it with the good, the bad, and the ugly. So we will start with that mixed tag team match I mentioned earlier on SmackDown. Bianca Belair and Cesaro against Bailey and Seth Rollins. Belair cut another pure babyface promo about standing up to bullies like Bailey. It was not really anything special. Rollins had cut a promo about overcoming adversity by beating Cesaro and being ready to move on. Yet they're having this match. Neither Bailey nor Cesaro got promos, and the match kind of just started after commercial. Belair did a cool spot with consecutive kip-ups, plus a backbreaker, gutbuster, and standing moonsault. Cesaro went nuts with a hot tag. Cesaro hit a swing and springboard corkscrew uppercut. Bailey interrupted his finisher. Rollins blind tagged Bailey. Belair was about to hit the KOD when Rollins accidentally ran into her, knocking Bailey down and giving her opponent the opening to hit the rose plant for the win. It was depressing seeing this match booked because it just feels like both feuds are somehow continuing for a third and fourth month in a row. Then Bailey beats Belair, basically giving her momentum to challenge again despite two losses. Bailey should be in Money in the Bank given there's no women on this damn roster. So while it was a very entertaining match with some good wrestling over the first 30 minutes of the show, from a booking standpoint, this might be a surprise, but this was kind of bad. Yeah, I I liked the idea of doing the intergender match. And frankly, I wish they would do more of them. I think it'd be a way to get the women in more unique situations. Since, again, there are so few of them. There's only so many things they can actually do. This was a, a, a fun way to make it a little bit more interesting. I liked the Seth Bianca back and forth beforehand. And Seth was telling her to high five him before Bailey came out and basically and stuff like that. And um I, I like that. The match was whatever. In the end, I would go toward another Bela Bianca, probably. But dogs are pissed too. I know they're, they're not pissed too. Happy about seeing this over and over again. But it was like I don't know what else there is to really do with the women's division on SmackDown right now because there's just there's just not enough there. And I think it's really kind of dragging everything down. And they're going to need to come up with some different ways to do different things and. Honestly, that's why I thought doing the intergender match was was a unique way to do it. Yeah, I was fine with the match. The match was really good and entertaining, but the booking, the 
the sense, trying to make sense of it, it, it just didn't make any. So, and I hate that we're getting another rematch between Belair and Bailey. It seems. I mean, I will we'll, say this: you we'll called that a couple couple months back. I did. You said we were going to get like three in a row, and yep. I said wait until we get there, and we're there. We're there. <laughs> Guess where <laughs> we are? Right. You're we're right. F- we're effing there. All right. Uh, <laughs> we had a six woman tag team match over on Raw: Rhea Ripley, Mandy Rose, and Dana Brooke against Charlotte Flair, Natalia, and Tamina. This was a confusing booking because. It seemed to me like Natalia and Tamina were the face side of their feud. They certainly got cheered, uh, at least in the Thunderdome, when they won the titles off the heels. There was even a pre-match promo between them and Flair, but it didn't make them any more heel. They made really good points at why they'd want to stand up for themselves. So I had no idea why these teams were formed the way they were. All six women straight up brawled before the match, which I thought was pretty cool. Rose took out Natalia with a V-trigger, but Flair tagged in blind and hit Mandy with a boot for the win. Not a super kick, not natural selection, which is a signature move. A boot to the face beats Mandy Rose. That's a terrible piece of booking. Flair took out Ripley's knee during the match and Ripley responded by doing the same thing after the bell, which was kind of interesting. I don't mind a non-finisher win. In fact, I enjoy enjoy it. I was going to say, yeah. I do. I like when people use signature moves and just kind of hit a really big spot, a frog splash, even if it's not in their repertoire and win. That's all fine. But for Mandy to lose with a boot to the face, even blind is super weak. Again, she could have just used natural selection. I know I'm repeating myself. Uh, Six women in two title storylines, and this thing only manages to get eight minutes. It just felt like it could have been so much more than it actually was. It was decent work. I'm going to go with good just because we don't really have a fair designation. But it legitimately only beats out bad by a hair for me. I realized I didn't give a grade to the to the last bit. Um, the 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 Seth Bianca. I Bailey assumed you meant good for the first one. I'm going to say good. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say good, and I'm going to say. <sighs> what did you give this one? I'm going with good, but it's by a hair. I mean, both yeah, of these. It's, I'm in that. I'm in that. I'm in that same spot. I actually, I like you said. I liked the match ending on a on a big boot because honestly, we haven't seen enough from Mandy Rose to think she needs to be defeated with a finisher. It like uh, you could use natural it, selection, she, she, super she's kick. Not, she's not a jobber, but it was like, uh, oh, that with the match end, it was like, oh, I didn't expect that. And again, little surprises here and there in a, in, in a match in a show will go a long way with me because everything's so formulaic all the time. So, yeah, it was, you know, I liked that they mixed multiple stories into this, and I think they told them separately pretty well. Since so, I'm gonna go good as well. I, 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 I saw what they were going for, and I think they, they largely hit it. We had John Morrison against Ricochet on Raw in a singles match. Miz and Morrison spoke backstage about Morrison being a surefire Money in the Bank winner because Miz is a great tactician and knows when to take advantage of opportunities. Ricochet surprised them uh, off camera, stole a drip stick without them knowing, and then sprayed both of them. Ricochet did a hurricanrana off and over Miz's wheelchair early in the match in a really sick spot. And I got to say, the early comedy of this thing, both backstage and at ringside, was pretty good. I don't always love the shticky type of stuff, but it really worked here with Ricochet being like totally straight faced and Miz and Morrison being absolutely ridiculous. Uh, Morrison caught Ricochet with a kick, but he missed Starship Pain. I could have sworn that was going to be the finish of the match. Ricochet then hit an absolutely ridiculous crazy springboard crossbody outside onto Morrison who was sitting on the barricade and got knocked over it like Humpty Dumpty. Like it was just absolutely ridiculous. It ended up in a double count out. 
I didn't care one iota that it was a double countout. That is how you book a double countout finish. This whole thing was awesome from start to finish. I love that Ricochet seems to be on a roll here. First, he gets a win against AJ Styles. Then he has the, these crazy, these two crazy spots against Morrison. Plus, he got over on them both backstage. It's like someone woke up from a deep sleep and realized, hey, that guy Ricochet, he might have it. This wasn't just good, Chris. This was great. This was a big win. Not only that, I wondered if anybody realized, hey, we have a chance to have Johnny Mundo versus Prince Puma <laughs> on Monday Night Raw. For those of you who remember Lucha Underground and the matches these guys had together. And when, that's when this started. I was like, man, if these guys before before the match started, I was like, man, remember what these guys were like against each other in, in Lucha Underground. And we're going to get something that's lame as hell here on Monday Night Raw. And it really sucks. And then it didn't happen. They gave us an awesome match between these guys. I wasn't here to talk about it last week, but I loved, loved, loved John Morrison getting the win over Randy Orton last week. John Morrison is a really fun wrestler. He's a really funny guy, and I don't hate the comedy bits that he does, but I want him to get some opportunity to shine as a wrestler. And win. Yes, win yeah, matches. And we've gotten that the last couple of weeks where he gets to show that he can be a serious threat. Ricochet, John Morrison was awesome. A double countout. Maybe we get it again next no, week. We're I'm definitely fine with that, again, but it's okay. Yeah. I this is graded a great, and yeah, these guys lived up to what I didn't when I was thinking back to again the Lucha Underground stuff that they didn't. It's like, man, just let these guys be awesome wrestlers. If there was a crowd there, that's how you get them over, and they and they did it here. Yes, it get, like we hate double countouts. We hate rematches, but this is the perfect booking for a double countout and a rematch. Yes, if you're gonna do it. This is the way you do it. You make it exciting. You give people a reason to want to see it next week. I was shocked, honestly, that they didn't announce the rematch already for next week to tell people, hey, that thing you just saw that you loved, we're going to give it to you again because that's what I'm expecting. One more time is good. I don't want to see this every week until Money in the Bank, but one more, let's do it. This was great. The whole booking, the comedy, the action, this is how you book a mid-card match. And yes, I think I mentioned on this podcast a couple months ago, that John Morrison was like winless in singles matches since returning to WWE or was like one in 11 or something like that. He's gotten a couple of wins recently with Miz injured. It took Miz getting injured for Morrison to actually get a couple of wins, whatever. It's all good. This is a step in the right direction for both guys. Let's move on. Sami Zayn was celebrating his win over on SmackDown when he was informed he'd have to face Kevin Owens again in a Money in the Bank qualifying match. Zayn pled his case. Uh, to Pierce, who made it a last man standing match. This is real confusing given Owens appeared hurt at Hell in a Cell and he tweeted that he was taking time off. Perhaps this is one final match before he leaves and takes a sabbatical. But Zayn made a great point in his promo that he just beat Owens. So he should already be qualified. Besides that, you guys know I loathe, loathe last man standing matches. It feels like it's the fourth one WWE's done in the last six months. It's going to be good because they always give us good matches because Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn are good wrestlers. But I got to say, with booking like this, I'm just exhausted. And given this wasn't a match and it was only storyline, I got to go with bad. Yeah, I don't really understand the point of this. I hope Kevin Owens is okay and gets through this okay and gets a much needed break. I'm going to go with the a bad, even though I'm sure the match will be good. We'll move back over to Raw. Shayna Baszler against Nikki Cross in a singles match. 
Baszler was shuffling cards backstage and talking trash about Alexa Bliss to Nia Jax and Reginald. Bliss was shown listening in the background. Lucha House Party then dapped up Nikki for her mask. That's literally all we saw of them the entire show, just <laughs> dapping her up for wearing a mask. And then she announced her gimmick is almost a superhero, A-S-H. I thought that was Rocky. I find it hard to believe that that was the best option from creative for Nikki Cross. Anyway, the match was kind of just picking up when Bliss made her entrance. She took out Jax and Reggie outside. It was actually kind of cool the way she did it by kicking Jax in the stomach and then using the same leg to kick backwards and kick Reggie in the balls, basically. But anyway, that distracted Baszler. Cross beat Baszler again with La Magistral. That is not a roll-up, folks. That is a pinning combination, and it's a good one. And I love that Nikki Cross has gotten that. This match was weak as hell, though. Again, extremely short. Nikki Cross is good, but I got to say, all the other elements here, they were bad. Yeah, and, and this is, again, kind of repetitive based on the previous week. I I don't, we, we haven't really gotten, I don't think, a good explanation of the superhero thing. And you got to do that up front. Like, really, really. No, they gave us that last week. You missed it. Okay, maybe I missed that. Yeah, they did. But it's, it, commentary is not helping, I don't think. You, you, you really got to put this over. Like, it, it's like, obviously the comparison is Hurricane Helms, but he like legit thought he was a superhero. Like, he leaned into that. Calling yourself almost a superhero feels weird. Well, she's like, doing it you, in a, she's doing it in like a John Cena, Shorty G, like feel good about yourself and what you can accomplish type of deal. I don't mind the gimmick, but the way they broke it down, I thought that they changed her name to Nikki Ash because they said A-S-H, Ash. So I'm like, oh, they changed her name. Okay, that makes sense. But they didn't. The Titan Tron said Nikki Cross. They called her Nikki Cross the entire match. The whole thing was just convoluted and messy. This is what I mean. Like the the layout has not been, or the the rollout has not been, I think as is as pointed as it needs to be for right. something like this. Exactly. So that's why it was I, bad for me. What about yeah, you? I'm going to go with the bad. Okay. Uh, we had a women's tag team match. This was a rematch from last week. Here we go. I'm sure we'll get a third next week. Asuka and Naomi against Eva Marie and Dewdrop. Eva said Dewdrop was overwhelmed last week, causing their loss. And Eva kept looking at Dewdrop's stomach while she was talking, which I hope she was just looking down at her, not looking at her weight, because... It's unsettling if they make this about her weight. Anyway, Dewdrop escaped an Oscar lock as Eva jumped off the ring apron and taunted her, basically giving her payback from last week. Dewdrop then hit Oscar with a senton and a pretty cool looking running splash and beat Oscar in a shitty five minute tag team match. Eva then announced herself as the winner after. I just don't understand why it is so hard to give the women eight to 10 minutes in more than one match on a show. Why are we having Asuka lose so fast when Naomi is booked extremely weak already and she's in the match as her partner? The bright spot here is that Piper Nevin is seemingly getting a rocket strapped to her to some degree. They're putting her over. They're giving her wins. But we'll see how long the booking remains and we'll see how long this awful name lasts. It wasn't good. So I just have to go with that, I guess. Yeah, I was surprised. So going back and watching the Dewdrop debut and stuff, like I loved the Eva Marie Piper Nevins debut two weeks ago when we talked about it, and I was kind of surprised they seemed to be go. They seemed to be hinting at the breakup like right away, which is weird because I don't know what you do with Eva Marie if not this. So 
yeah, could you? It's it's a tag team match. Theoretically, you should be able to give it quite a bit more time. Even Oscar Piper Nevins on their own could probably go for for longer than that. So, yeah, it, it was. I don't, I don't want to say it was bad. I, I'm kind of right between good and good and bad. I think I, I I see what they're going for. They they are, I think at least, telling a story. Am I upset that Oscar loses Naomi? You know that that kind of stuff. Yeah, sure, but. The larger story with the Eva Dewdrop thing, um, I'm I'm still in on it. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. A lot of these this week aren't very cut and dry. Like they're all if we had a category between good and bad. Like if we had a fair category, a lot of these would just kind of exist in that space because we want to see how they play out. We want to see what's going to happen next. But I lean to bad over good because when I look at something that can easily be booked better, and it's not then that breaks the difference for me, right? If if yeah. the match was booked well, but it's a little sloppy, then I'll stick with the good. But this just, man, just put Naomi in that spot. I'm okay with Oscar losing, but have her lose a 15-minute singles match to do job. Don't have her lose a five-minute tag team match and get squashed by her. Pun not intended there. So just not good. Um, all right, we'll move on. The coronation of King Shinsuke Nakamura. Rick Boogs introduced Nakamura and shredded while he sat on the throne and then he, they danced. Pat McAfee celebrated by doing the Stone Cold, you know, by taking a pair of water bottles and jamming them together and pouring them all over his face. Baron Corbin, who was referenced by that name, by the way, was backstage acting completely depressed, wearing all black. That was the extent of it, but it all worked together pretty well with Nakamura looking super cool and Corbin actually getting some character development for a change. The fact that this went by quickly without lingering and we saw... Corbin's character progress in a new direction. It was all good. This was good. I loved it. Yeah, I felt bad for Corbin. <laughs> they <laughs> like, made me like, feel bad for Corbin. Yeah. Yes, it, it, it wasn't. It wasn't a double turn, but they could have made it that if, if they wanted to, uh, with, with the over the top celebration and the other person being very sad about it. Um, yeah, this was good. I, I'm. I pray that we don't get Corbin moving on to something else where he wrestles somebody ten times in a row, but. Maybe this is finally a change that has uh, long been needed for him. Corbin's Good. someone who, you know, if they put him in that Money in the Bank match, as long as it makes sense, I wouldn't hate it. As long as he's bearing Corbin, of course. Did did he win Money in the Bank before? Or is he had He did, before? and he failed to cash it in. That's right. That's right. One of few yep. failures. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I do have a DM slide before we move on. From Blaine Gibbs at Big Blaine 71 Maybe a long-time listener, not sure, but definitely a first-time DMer. He said, I love Pat McAfee's energy and him standing in the desk Friday night, on the desk Friday night. You often see him standing throughout the show. Will they make him sit once they have live audiences? So first of all, Pat is doing an incredible job. Every week is better than the last. You nailed it, Blaine, 100%. No, uh, when crowds come back, I think he'll do stand. He'll do all his shtick that he's currently doing. And I think... He's going to, on more than one occasion, be so pumped up about things that like he turns around and like high fives yeah. fans and celebrates with them. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. Pat with fans is going to be a supernova of a uh, color commentator. I think he he's going to get massive reactions by the SmackDown audience. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I'm thinking when there are fans, he's going to, I mean, he can't stand because people behind him are going to probably be upset, but, but. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he stands during his radio show, too, a lot. So this is just something he kind of does when he's excited doing 
commentary on whatever he's talking about. So yeah, he's been great every week. We we sing his praises every week. It's good stuff. It's um, uh, I, I you you can't wait till he does an entrance down the ramp before a show and there's fans. You know, he'll be high fiving people. Be really into it. I I think he can really take his star power to another level. I think when fans are actually there, he's gonna he's gonna get over as a commentator in a live crowd. He's definitely going to. And I could see a situation where, because he's wrestled and we know he can wrestle and he's very good, one of the best celebrity, you know, matches that I've ever seen. Um, you know, I think there will be a day where he gets physically involved somehow with a wrestler, maybe even a Corbin. That's actually a good foil for him. And is able to do a match and get over in that way as well. So I'm just very excited for Pat's future with WWE. He has just been a breath of fresh air for SmackDown and for commentary. And honestly, any chance we get, we get to talk about him uh, is a good one. So Blaine, thank you for the DM there. Uh, lastly here on the good, the bad, and the ugly, Jackson Riker against Elias in a strap match. Riker was smacking the strap onto a road case for no reason. I was just shaking my head. Later, he was smacking himself with it. And he cut an awful promo about purging himself of weakness. But our truth was there to... And he tried his best to kind of make it funny. Riker's just an absolutely terrible actor. And it makes zero sense why they're trying to make this guy a face with this gimmick. It's almost failing on Raw the same way Lars Sullivan failed on SmackDown earlier yeah. this year. Elias came out to a third theme. Uh, yeah, his last one was great. This yeah. one was atrocious. His first two were good. His original theme that he just had was good. Then the one he sang himself was good. This one was terrible. This one was absolutely terrible. It doesn't fit him at all. I'm assuming it's another track from his album. Either way, it's horrible. Elias said that Riker traded in being Elias's light to return to darkness. It was also bad, but man, at least Elias can talk or something. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, by the way, there was a strap match. Uh, it was actually really high intensity to start going both ways. Like the action of it at the beginning was pretty damn good. But... The whole thing lasted four minutes with Riker winning after a swinging slam. So Elias got squashed by a guy who's a worse version of himself. Look, Riker would have failed in 2003, 2004 SmackDown, along with all all of those other big, meaty, shitty dudes that didn't have a lick of personality or charisma outside of a couple of good spots in the match. Man, oh man, forget good, forget bad. This shit was ugly. I disagree. I, I, I larger picture, yeah. There's nothing there with Jackson Riker. I don't care about where this goes moving forward. But the match itself, I was entertained by. It, it, it was, it, it had been built up over the last couple of weeks that Elias kept running from him, so it made sense to do a match where he can't run from him. And do do I do I care about these guys anymore? Oh, the booking made that? sense. No. Yeah, but I'm, the match didn't but, make sense. But but the ma- and the match itself was entertaining. I, I it was it, four it was, minutes. Yeah, it was four minutes of fine. It was fine. I, <laughs> there are you talk about how you would have done something better. There are so I wouldn't have done it ways. at all. Is what I would. There have are done. so many ways they would have they could have done this worse. And I'm going to give it a good. It was it was look. It's not the biggest thing in the world. It's a C level feud. But they gave me four minutes of something that was a little bit different and entertaining. And that's the extent of my thoughts on it. Yeah. Uh, so what are you going with? Good or bad? I'm going with the good. 
Oh my God. It was fine. It, I'm, I don't mean good as in it was like the third best thing on the show. I think we need to excommunicate you from but, this podcast. But it was good in terms of, it was, it, it was, it, there were four minutes where I was like, all right, that's not bad. Uh, again, I, I'm not it. saying, again, I'm not saying that the action wasn't decent because it was high intensity. But that's, it, it what, we're, that's what we're grading it on. No, I'm we're not, grading I'm the storyline, the booking, I, the idea of it all. Yeah, and, and in the context of just what they did just here, oh it my was God. fine. The, uh, like I said, I'm not looking forward to Jackson Rucker next week. I don't care what he has to say. I don't care about anything. But in terms of how they built up to this singular match and what they did, it was fine. This was, was the fine. worst thing. For me, this was the, the worst storyline on WWE television for the entire week. Uh, that's why I went ugly. Jesus. I mean, sorry. I don't it was usually not, do that because I know people it was, take It was seriously. not the worst thing on Raw. It, it was the worst thing on WWE television this week. No, it wasn't. What was worse? Um, Maybe Liv and Mella because it was nonsensical. Yeah, Liv and Mella was nonsensical. Um, I mean... <sighs> The, 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 that the wasn't Nikki ugly Cross, though. The, that would have been a the, bad for me. Like, the, I mean, I don't remember what I just gave the Nikki Cross. I was on. I don't think I gave anything really a bad. If I'm thinking back to what we've done here, but you you had to have given a couple bads. This was more interesting to me than the Nikki Cross segment. I, I guess it was in some way. It had the match was better than the Nikki Cross match. Yeah, that's about which is the majority of what we're what the grade is right now because that's oh, okay well we, we'll grade oh, things differently but man this was we need to disagree on something no no i'm I, glad I, we disagree I, we've been disagreeing a lot today so it's good i'm not gonna die on the hill of jackson Riker, but i'm, just, I'm trying to make you that, I'm that's just, the thing i'm trying to i'm, I'm trying just to gonna stick say you. that i didn't think the strap match in itself was all that bad i'm gonna i'm trying to stick you in the jackson Riker corner here <laughs> where you're disagreeing with me absolutely lambasting this guy a couple of i still want to call him sean william scott i just i cannot oh, go over god whatever all right this was ugly uh we'll move on now so that was our final bit for the good, the bad, and the ugly. One more thing to talk about before we get out of here. There's been multiple reports over the last couple of weeks that Karrion Cross, Scarlett, Bronson Reed, and Shotzi Blackheart have been backstage at Raw and SmackDown TV tapings. Cross and Reed recently both had matches on main event while being champions in NXT. Scarlett, by the way, has not wrestled since joining WWE. Uh, and there's also a report that Vince McMahon would be visiting the WWE Performance Center this week to scout talent. So clearly, we began the show talking about all of the releases. It seems like WWE's plan as of right now is to do what the Performance Center and NXT are really made for and bring people up to the main roster to get them involved and take some of the spots that have been vacated. Because the truth is, both rosters for Raw and SmackDown right now are a little thin while the NXT roster does feel a little bit bloated. Now, Cross is champion, Bronson Reed is champion. So storyline-wise, they're going to have to figure out ways if they do bring them up to take titles off of them. The one thing I'll say here, we've talked about it with Karrion Cross. This is a main roster guy. The act with Scarlet, them combined, is a main roster act. Bronson Reed, if I was WWE, I would not call him up yet. Not that he's not good, not that he's not deserving. He just needs a little bit more seizing in NXT. And I really think that he can develop there and actually be a world champion there, an NXT champion. And he's not going to get the opportunity to do it if they bring him up so quickly. He's just starting to find his footing as a character. I want him to stay there longer. But I will say, as much as I do love the Shotzi Blackheart and Ember Moon tag team in NXT right now, Shotzi would definitely work on the main roster. She's wild and crazy. I'd actually bring up both her and Ember Moon, even though I know there's a reason why Ember Moon is back in NXT. So we don't know if any of those people are getting called up. We don't know who Vince McMahon is going to be 
actually scouting specifically, but it does seem like during this WWE draft that's going to be happening in August, I believe after SummerSlam, don't be surprised if we see a lot of transitioning across the Raw and SmackDown rosters. Yeah, I, I would love to see Karrion Cross make a debut with the NXT title like Kevin Owens did. Uh, I, I think that adds a lot to the character in their debut and the belt, um, and which I think the NXT championship kind of needs a little bit of a boost. Um, I, I've seen some stuff about the idea of Scarlet potentially being separate from Karrion Cross. Terrible idea. It was a horrible, horrible, horrible idea. Dude. Yeah. Never break them up. They add to each other. So Scarlet much. would succeed. Cross would go into the show. Yes. Yep. 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 Don't do it. They're yeah. great together. Don't do it. Um, and and in terms of they, not backstage, just people in NXT who I think are more suited for the main roster. Um, I think I think LA Knight is another one like that, um, a guy who can cut a promo. And I heard, I listened to the NXT AEW pod you did last week, and you're starting to come around a bit on LA Knight. There are, he he's cracking the armor that I have created <laughs> against him. I, also, he's in that Car Shield commercial with Ric yeah, Flair yeah. sometimes, which is weird, but I don't know, the guy, the guy he's, He's he he's a guy who can go to promo. He'd be interesting in front of a large in front of a crowd. Um, in terms, if there's a draft, if Vince calls some guys up, we'll see. I think he's, the he's I think a guy. The, he's a guy. I think he was also maybe more suited for for main roster than NXT. The confluence of the bad name, the bad music, the repetitive, extremely repetitive promos, and the fact that he lost everything he was in, he got off to a really bad start in NXT. Yeah. They've fixed the booking problems. His promo work is no longer as repetitive as it was. And now he has a little bit of footing with this million dollar championship where I feel like there's a little bit of momentum behind him and maybe he can develop into something. So it's for those reasons why I'm saying, you know what? He's cracking the armor a little bit. There's potential, there's an opportunity. I'm not over on the side that he's quote unquote good or that I'm buying into it or that I'm a fan yet, but there's potential where previously I did not see any potential. So yes, it, 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 yeah, you're moving it's, it's in the right a, direction. It's the kind of gimmick where you need to basically be on top. It, 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 you it, do. It's a, it's, it's a confident, cocky gimmick, and you can't. it doesn't work if you're losing. So he's got to be in a position where he's holding a belt there or, or something like that. That's why the million-dollar thing, I think, works perfectly. And lastly, before we get out of here, breaking news came down as we were recording the podcast, and then it immediately got refuted, like, before the end of the show. So... There was a report that came out from Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter that Canyon Seaman, the longtime senior vice president of talent development, was fired from WWE. And then just a couple minutes later, Meltzer tweeted out that he's still with the company. And it's a crazy story. So I have no idea what's happening here. What I will say is this. This guy has had a really interesting life and career in WWE. He was a professional volleyball player. For 14 years, he then worked in like development with that volleyball league, whatever he was in. He's been with WWE for the better part of a decade, maybe even longer than that. And he just kept working his way up the front office and eventually became the senior vice president. So we know WWE is doing a lot of restructuring and a lot of changes in their executive structure. It wasn't a huge surprise to see that he potentially had been fired. Uh, but the fact that he's not now and that it's quote unquote a crazy story, I'm really curious to find out what happened with this guy, especially because as we started the show, what did I tell you? I told you that Samoa Joe just started 
in the WWE talent department. And on that interview he did with Ryan Satin, he specifically cited Canyon Seaman as a guy he was working under and excited to be working with. And then this entire thing happened. So I have no idea what's happening. I just figured I would tell you guys that this all happened. I was going to talk about it. And then there's really not much for us to talk about because he's still with the company. But that's how we're ending today's show. So with the world of WWE now in the books, hopefully for the week, we'll see if any other breaking news comes out over the next few days before our show next Tuesday. Let's just take a quick moment to remind you what's coming up here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. We will be back Thursday with our NXT and AEW show, breaking down everything that happens across both of those brands. And then we will be back as regularly scheduled next week with our WWE show on Tuesday. If you're a first-time listener, please do not forget to subscribe. If you're a long-time listener, please do not forget what this show is all about. Leave those five-star ratings for us on Apple Podcasts. Drop a review. Let people know how much you love the show. And do not forget to follow the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast on Twitter at GettingOverCast. So with that all out of the way, for Chris Benini, this is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, and I'm here to leave you with three final words. Bye for now.